It's been a long time coming. Yeah, we here, baby. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome to the Zero Noise Podcast with Rob Wallace. Today we're here in Grove Studios. Um, I'm here with my man Max. Shouts out to Rick. Shouts out to Eric. Um, tonight, it is the first episode. We ain't got no bottles to pop or nothing like that. We're just going to kind of get in and get out and just talk through a little bit about what the purpose of all this is going to be. Um, first of all, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors. Um, first, Leon Speakers in Ann Arbor. Um, Leon Speakers. Uh, they do a fantastic job creating high-end home audio. They are a partner of mine uh, for a number of reasons that we'll get into. Um, also want to give a shout out to Dirty Avenue Clothing from DMV. They're supporting the, pod, the, the podcast as well, supporting the cause. Um, as well as Project Plugin. Project Plugin is producing this podcast along with Mind State Marketing and Grove Studios. I'm proud to announce um, that we'll be working together to make this a reality. So, I guess the first thing would be to talk about why I've chosen to do this and who I am and why I'm, why I feel like this is the best format for me to create something. Um, my name is Rob Wallace. Uh, when we have guests, uh, we're going to do three I am's with our guests. Um, I am a father and a husband. Um, I am an educator and a musician. And I am curious about a lot. Um, born in Flint, Michigan. Uh, I was... Uh, I graduated from Flint Central High School um, and went to Eastern Michigan University, started studying education, went into the city of Detroit, taught in Northwest Detroit for eight years, became a high school administrator. I was a, a middle school and high school administrator for 10 years and then uh, came back to Eastern to direct the program. And during that time, well, really, all during that time, I had the opportunity to create music. And I had successes. I had failures. Um, and that's one of our three things we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, but overall, it was just a permanent part of who I was. Um, so what I'll first say is that um, this is not just solely a music podcast. It's a people podcast. And we're going to be looking at and talking about music through the perspective of people. So there will be a lot of times where we will be having conversations with people here and talking to them about what they do. And I know, you know, I, I know a few people and music is one of the things that connects me to a lot of people. So uh, we'll be talking through the things that they're doing and the, and the ventures that they have. And everybody has a story and everybody has something that's going on that we can support. But we'll also do it through the framework of music. Uh, because when I came to Eastern, um, I started studying for my doctorate in education. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to study how hip hop impacts education. So I'm about 
a few years in. Hopefully, we'll be going through the entire process of me completing my my, my pathway towards my PhD. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit as we move to podcasts to come in the future. We're going to be talking to a very diverse group of people um, from all different walks of life. But again, music is the thing that will connect us. And my hope is that each person will be able to come in and speak to an album or a body of work that changed their lives. Because to me, hip hop albums are a historical document. Hip hop albums captured a moment in time, not only for the person that created it, but for the person who heard it. So we'll be talking through a lot of things involving how the album was created, what the impact was, issues surrounding it, and using that to really frame our discussions with people. That's really the the biggest source thing, the the biggest source for this podcast. Um, I'm a black man in America. A lot of what we will talk about will engage in discussions about race, equity, classism, and all of that, but we'll have some fun too. That's really important. Um, We won't be in one place. We all living through COVID right now. So we'll be at Grove. We might be at my house. We might be at Leon Loft in Ann Arbor. We might be in the middle of something. I don't know. But we just we just want to start this and we want to start this this adventure the right way by kind of just explaining. So again, my name is Rob Wallace. Um and we like to start with three things and three things just help to just kind of frame where we are right now in time, because as much as this is for entertainment, it is also a historical document. Um, I think about a lot what I will leave when it's time for me to go. And my plan is to leave something behind for my children so they can make sure they know who I was. I do have two children. I got a seven-year-old daughter and a nine-year-old son. Um, We live a little bit closer to Detroit. Um, And I see everything that I do through their eyes. So the first thing I do want to just touch base about is success and failure. This ain't the first time I did a podcast. Um, And success and failure is not black and white. The fact of the matter is we get a chance to... I've been blessed to be in a position where I can try stuff and fail at it and fail up. And uh, I would be remiss not to acknowledge the people who came before me in this, who inspired me. Not only the Combat Jacks, the Joe Buttons, um, but also the Larry Kings. Also, um, the shows that I would watch as a youth where they would talk and they would ask the real questions. And that's what I plan on doing here. Our plan is not to be controversial. Uh, We don't want to just go out and seek the highest, you know, we don't want to go out and just seek whatever the hottest button topic is to talk about and things of that nature. Because again, this podcast is about people. So we'll be talking to people about their lives and really digging deep into what got us to this place. Um, The second thing I want to talk about today, and when I do three things, I'm just talking about things that's on my heart. Um, as we come to it, the second one today that I want to say is, is support people around you. 
and I'm going to talk specifically about music and supporting people in music around you um, today as well. But what's interesting to me is when I look at hip-hop music, what I, what I have always done is looked at hip-hop as a bigger-than-life kind of entity in my world that exposed thought, that engaged in dialogue, that engaged in critique of society, and that's exactly what it is. But by working with Grove Studios the last couple of years, it's really forced me to focus on really paying attention to what's happening around me. And what's great is that there is a fantastic community of musicians that are around me that are making music. Some I have relationships with, some I don't. But I enjoy spending my time supporting them as opposed to solely focusing on what's going on in the broader scope of hip-hop. Because if you focus right now solely on the broader scope of hip-hop, you might be disappointed or you might think that it's not growing. And I'm not just talking about hip-hop. I'm talking about music in general. At Grove, you know, right now we got uh, a rock band in one room. We have uh, we had a singer and an engineer in the next room. And then in the next room, we got a, a, a psychedelic funk band. Shout out to Danny Darling. They're in there recording all night sessions and things like that. So that support overall is huge. Um, and what you find by engaging with so many different musicians, you really can see how music brings people together. So, for example, today is one of them Bandcamp waiver days and it's people putting out projects. Make sure that you support the people who are making music around you and not just those who are finessing you into thinking, finessing you into supporting them. Um, and what, so what does support look like? You know, you got people that are selling merch, you got people that are selling their music, selling their tapes. Hopefully soon we get back to a point where we can get to seeing people perform again. All those things are extremely are extremely important. And I think that what we'll find is it will become more important as time goes on. Um, the third thing that I wanted to talk about was... Um, you know, the story that's going around involving teachers and returning to schools and things of that nature. Um, and there are people who straight up do not want to go back to work. <laughs> not just, not because of um, COVID, but we have to acknowledge that it's people that just don't want to go back to work either. And the truth of the matter is we do want to make sure that we keep everybody safe. But I don't think that we'll recognize how afraid things have become when it comes to education for years to come. Um, the rules are different. We'll talk a lot about the rules being different now. There are no golden calves in education. I'm anxious to be a part of the innovation that comes about from doing some different things with education. So those were the three things that were on my mind as I came in. Um, those are some of the things that uh, we'll be talking about with our guests as well. So. Typically during our podcast at this point, I would be introducing our guests, but this time the guest is me. So, um, again, for those of you who don't know who I am, um, I'm an educator. I'm an educator and I'm a person who can appreciate the skill and talent and time that's being put into the creation of music. Um, 
and that is really who I am. Other than that, um, I'm a humble servant. I, I can't step to this. What what gives me the credibility to be able to come in here and talk about music in depth with people? Um, I was the kid, as I frequently say, I was the kid that was in the barbershop reading the Jets' top 20 singles when I was two years old out loud to impress the rest of the people in the barbershop. Um, I was the person that was buying music with his paper with his paperboy money and with his allowance money. Um, the first tape that I ever bought with my own money was Queen Latifah's All Hail the Queen. But um, my connection with music goes much deeper than that, much further back. Um, I did put out a project at the beginning of January called Unfree Black. Um, this would be my fifth project that I've put out. The first four are instrumental projects because I view myself as a producer first. But I had some things that I had to say. So I put out a project where it's exclusively me rapping with JB Swift. Will I do another project rapping? I don't know. I might, I might not. I don't know. Um, I also work with the homies, the Dirty Old Men. The Dirty Old Men are a group of producers from all over the country, all over the world, and we're united through music. We have produced six albums together, um, the last of which was an EP called Six Feet that came out in September. We also put out an album last year called East Grand. So we did two projects. Um, all of it was done virtually, passing around files and things of that nature because, uh, not only because of COVID, but because that's how we operate. We're all over the place. We get together once a year in a city and work on music. Um, I'm very proud of everybody in the Dirty Old Man. Um, Jelani Beats from Chicago, Agent Smith from Chicago, RTO from Oakland, Widebody from Jersey by way of Florida, Digger Hurst from Memphis. We got Mike Notes from Detroit here with me. Um, you got my man Clark to Spark from Seattle. You got uh, Overlord from Milwaukee. You got um, cats from all over the place. If I forgot you, I can't forget CX and Gadget and Black Mav down in DMV, as well as Hill Prop, um, JB Swift from here and in, 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 in Ipsy as well. So music has encapsulated who I have been along with my responsibilities professionally in the past few years. So um, my hope is that the time that we spend each week is um, in building a relationship. It's not just about coming through to hear the latest gossip about people in hip hop and things of that nature. I think we're a little bit older than that. Um, and I think it's other places on the internet that do that well. We wanna engage in real honest discussion with people about their lives and talk through their experiences with hip hop in order to get a better understanding of who, who they are and what hip hop has to say about who they are as well as what the artist was going through when they created that music. So I do my research. Um, so it's a couple, it's, it's a couple things that I, I need to make sure that you guys know before we move forward. Um, first of all, um, in my studies and in my life, what I've come to realize is that it's deeper than rap. 
um, hip hop as a culture has deep sociological implications because it has been the dominant culture in America for the last 40 years. So although it was created and constructed and it still rests in the souls of African-Americans in this country, it is built from a number of other types of music and a number of other different situations. And now it's at a place where it exists in a number of different areas. And one of the biggest things that differentiate hip hop as a culture from rap as music, I think rap music is a commercial enterprise. Um, and I think it's very clear when you find that people are creating rap music in an effort to gain either financially or gain socially. However, hip hop is categorized by its fifth element, in my opinion, which is knowledge of self. So my hope is that the artists, the musicians, the people who we bring to the table for this podcast are people who are going to be talking about and working around and discussing music that illustrates knowledge of self. That is the real foundation of our discussions is knowledge of self. What is it about this music that taught you, that developed you as a person? So it's deeper than rap. Even the things that are gossip, you know, chatty patty type shit in rap teaches us stuff about ourselves and what our values are and what our beliefs are. So that is what we will be primarily talking about. The second thing I want to talk about myself is my taste is multifaceted and multi-generational. I'm I'm a our 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 group of producers and artists is called Dirty Old Men because we love records that's gritty with cracks and pops and dirty samples. Pete Rock, Dilla, Premier all of that, Mad Lib, all of that is what we love. However, for me, I've broadened my horizons and expectations and understanding of music to be able to still seek out music that illustrates knowledge of self. So it doesn't have to fit into that type of music that I love to make in order for me to be able to appreciate what it's saying. So there are no limits to a degree when it comes to time and bias. I believe that hip hop is a two party system just like our government. I think you have conservatives, especially in my age bracket, you have conservatives and you have liberals. The conservatives believe that there is only one way to create and construct hip hop, using a certain piece of equipment, having a certain type of sound, having a certain type of content. I don't believe that because I've seen how hip hop is now used around the world. And the one thing that you find is that hip hop reflects the culture that it exists in around the world. So if you was to encounter hip hop in Ghana, you would see Ghanaian culture and tendencies through the lens of what they view hip hop to be period point blank. So. Don't think that this podcast is only going to be about old rap, old hip hop records, 1993 all over again. That's not the way that we're going to operate. Okay. 
number three um i will say there is music and then there is music that decorates time as well it doesn't mean that everybody's music attaches itself to the soul just because it's different um and what determines whether or not music becomes eternal i think it is its ability to connect to our lives and there's a lot of bullshit music out and it's a lot of music that i don't listen to it's a lot of music that i don't like we're gonna try to focus around music that is progressive music that is moving forward music that is nuanced those are the things that attaches me to music at this point because after 40 years uh really close to 50 years total but 40 years really where music has been hip-hop music has been widely available we've heard everything so i'm looking for people who are innovative and again this is what requires me and forces me to focus around people who are making music around me that's what i like to listen to because it gives me a chance to not only hear what they have to say but it gets it gives me a chance to kind of know them as a person there are people who are making music that are larger than life and although they still had a capacity to speak to our spirits and our souls it's good to be able to touch that person it's good to be able to be close to that person or see that person in your face and that's why my interest is in bringing artists to the table engineers to the table producers to the table so we can talk through the thought process that it, that exists in creating the music that they're creating this is a crucial time in the history of music um and the music industry and i think it's two separate things we good oh um it's a crucial time in the history of music because we have the technology to be able to do anything musically. When it comes to the manipulation of audio, and I am a recording engineer, mix engineer, mastering engineer as well, I know the technology. Technology will allow us to do anything. So where does the innovation come from at this point? I'm interested to see what will happen next. I used to tell my friends all the time that when you get to a point where you can pitch a sample and keep it in key, or keep it in, yeah, keep it in key, then what is next after that? We have access to hundreds of thousands upon millions of sounds. You got organizations like Tracklib. You got organizations like Splice to be able to get any sound at any time, at any volume, with any texture. So where does the nuance come from? It's only 13 keys, um, I'm sorry, 12 keys on a keyboard. So where does the nuance come from? The nuance has to come from what the music is actually saying. And it's a it's a, a special time in the music industry because COVID has destroyed any, F, any old models and streaming has essentially took over. And streaming was in place before um, COVID occurred, but now it's very clear that you have to be creative in the methods and manner in which you engage with your artists. That's something we're going to be talking about on this podcast. Um, we have people around us who are using music to do a number of different special things. And so I'm really excited to be able to bring those people to the table for you so you can listen to the things that they are doing and creating. We are already working um, with uh, the Amplify Fellowship, which I didn't mention at the beginning. 
um, doing the What Now Music Industry Forum. And during that What Now Music Industry Forum, what we do is we bring musicians and, and industry insiders and music artisans together to talk about how they've managed this pivot. How are they integrating music into education? How are they integrating music into the other things that they do? And we'll also have some returning guests who just come through. They, these just my people. They just love to come and kick it with me. Um, shout out to Quinn Barrett. Um, shout out to Brandon Scarborough. We'll be bringing people through on a regular basis just to come talk. Above and beyond the highly regimented things that we might do, I think there is value in us um, just spending some time to kick it. So um, the next thing, the next thing for me is it's a crucial time in the future of education as well. And for me, hip hop and education is joined in a way because I'm a hip hop based teacher in my heart. Hip hop based instruction is something that is that is is very close to me. Critical hip hop pedagogy is typically what it's referred to. Um, and there are no golden calves when it comes to education. So, of course, we're going to be bringing people who are engaged in education to the field as well. Um, again, they'll still be framing their discussion through hip-hop, so um, it still will be hip-hop at its base. However, it's important that we know and understand how hip-hop has the capacity to impact the things that people are doing. Um, the next thing, I had dope friends who are doing dope things. I, I've When I made this transition to Eastern Michigan, I had no idea about the amount of people who I would come into contact with as a result that are really doing innovative things here in town or in Michigan or wherever. So I'm really anxious to bring them about um, and people who bef from before I went to Eastern. I mean, I came to Eastern. Um, I'm anxious to bring those people to the table to talk through the different things that they are doing. Um, and I'm excited about having the giving them the platform to be able to talk about the things that they are doing. Um, and then lastly, my interest is to listen and to learn from those around me. I'm never going to profess myself to be an expert at anything. I know how I've spent my time. I know what I've experienced. At one time, I thought about doing a podcast about engineering, but what I didn't feel like dealing with is people trying to pick apart the nuances of what I chose to do because mixing is an art and a science um, if you give 10 engineers the same uh, stems the song is going to sound different there are some standard rules however you can do what you want to do so I'm interested in listening I'm interested in learning from the people who are around me we're going to be doing that together um, the last thing that we'll be doing with each of our, our people who come through is we will be interviewing them, talking to them, talking talking through what they're doing and, and things of that nature. But what's most valuable is that we do talk about that music piece and what it did for them or how it what, what it did to them. So I'm going to rewind the tape real quick for myself since this is the first episode of the Zero Noise podcast. I'm going to rewind the tape and do one for myself. Um May 16th, 1990, I was a seventh grader. Um, I was curious about what it meant to be a black man in America. Um, I had a father, God rest his soul, who worked in the plant. I had a mother who worked at a bank. And 
they taught me the value of hard work, the value of family, the value of an honest buck, um, and the fact that because of the gifts that I had been given, I needed to use them in a very particular way in order to get ahead in society. And um, because of that, I had the opportunity to go to school with um, a very diverse group of individuals uh, from all over. I'm from Flint, from all over Flint. And it really helped to frame my understanding of who I was. Uh, Shouts out to Sam Webb. Sam gave me a book back in seventh grade. It was called Message to the Black Man by Elijah Muhammad. Um, he would come to school and he would read it. He'd also be eating sausage biscuits, so he wasn't hearing the part about pork, I guess. But um, it drove up my curiosity about being a black man in America because up to that point, the only time that we had an opportunity to explore explore being black was during Black History Month. And you hear about the Crispus Attics and the Harriet Tubmans and people of that nature. But I was really more curious about what was happening around me at that time. So by this time, NWA was a reality. BDP was a reality. Um, Public Enemy was a reality. I was introduced to Public Enemy by uh, my man Gerard Smith from down the street. Um, I'll never forget, I was riding my bike, and his mom wasn't home. He he was about to uh, graduate from high school during the summer. And uh, I heard him blasting um, Rebel Without a Pause. And I had never heard anything like that in my life. And so um, I took a liking to Public Enemy. Um, I really started to learn about everything that Public Enemy had created. I remember when Public Enemy created Fear of a Black Planet in April of 1990 because uh, my father took my, no, actually my brother took me and one of my neighbors whose name was Andre to the record store to get Fear of a Black Planet. And I listened to it. I remember it had the the lyrics and everything all kind of on a little paper. I, I don't know where that paper could be today, from the tape or whatever. And um, it had been involved in some controversy because it had the song Welcome to the Terror Dome on it. And it was considered to be somewhat anti-Semitic because he said they trying to treat me like Jesus or whatever. So it was somewhat controversial. Um, and then... You know, this was all done in the context of, you know, rap pages and, and and the source was around, I remember, I believe, but I wasn't as attached to the source at the time. So I knew about Ice Cube leaving NWA, but obviously I didn't know the entirety of the story. But on May 16th, 1990, Ice Cube, in my opinion, dropped the greatest album in the history of hip hop. America's Most Wanted. Now, my cousin, Quentin, who we call Cube, loved Ice Cube. He had it before I did. And actually, I didn't buy it until later on because back in them days, I dubbed it from him and took it home. And I never forget I dubbed it because it cut off the last song, The Bomb, at the close to the end. Um, again, Fear of a Black Planet had come out. Fear of a Black Planet had a uh, production by the Bomb Squad, Hank Shockley, um, Chuck D, um, 
and it just changed the way that I saw myself because a couple of things happened on America's Most Wanted. First of all, um, every time Ice Cube was trying to profess himself to be the most gangster person that he could, he always lost. He always lost. When you hear, you know, at the beginning of the album, he gets electrocuted for something. When you hear America's Most Wanted, he gets caught. Once upon a time in the projects, he wasn't trying to be gangster, but he got arrested. So over and over, what you find is this this situation involving a certain level of consciousness, the chances of being incarcerated, as well as everything that happened in between was something that was so thoroughly explored on this project. Um, and keep in mind, I'm 13 years old and I'm growing up on the south side of Flint. And, you know, I have friends and family members that may have been involved in dope. I had, you know, people who was getting into all kinds of craziness. It was gang banging in Flint, you know what I'm saying, to a degree. Um, so what I learned from Cube was that you could be conscious and still have heart. You could be conscious and still have heart. And I, I appreciated that so much because it kind of laid a blueprint for me moving forward. Now, it doesn't mean that people like X-Clan and all that, that they didn't have heart, but it just it struck a good balance. And then the production of the album struck me. The production of the album is still something that I look at as being a standard bearer for me because it's so layered. You always find something different. You always find something new. And there were so many stories that came out about the creation of the album where allegedly Cube was told, go in this, in this warehouse or go in this place, choose all the records and samples that you want, and that's what we're going to make your album out of. And that has created from a cultural perspective, from a sampling culture perspective, which we're going to have to talk to at some point too, from a cultural perspective, it set the tone for me. I try to create music where people find things over time because music is a treasure hunt. You hear it the first time, you hear what you're supposed to hear the first time, but as you continue to revisit, you find more and more different things as you dig deeper. Um, and the Bomb Squad did that for me. To hear Ice Cube was supposed to be doing an album with Public Enemies producers, that was something that was very attractive to me when I first heard that that was going to happen. Um, again, in the context of its release, you have it's 1990. You have uh, ramped during that time. You have a changing dynamic that's happening between what the police can and cannot do. The um, there was legislation that was put in place to militarize the police in the mid-80s uh, that in, in L.A. especially, there was um, uh, an all-out war with, with, with gangs at that time. And the police's involvement and engagement with, with that was something that drove a lot of the content on that project. Um, 
And as we will soon see as the 90s will progress, when you talk about the Gun-Free Schools Act in 1994 and the zero tolerance policies that happened in schools, um, it drove a lot of kids out into the streets. So what ended up happening was this, this, this tension that had existed between young black men and the police that had existed forever, essentially, was just put in a different frame because of the war on drugs. So you had the war on drugs that was happening. You had affirmative action being knocked down. You had, uh, th- this was essentially the generation that was after the civil rights generation. This this generation of kids that was around making, you know, that was within Ice Cube's demographic at that time were essentially the children of the civil rights era, the children of the 1970s and the urbanization and really the post-industrial state of America. And that's what hip-hop was born out of. So um, what Ice Cube brought to the table for me was something that really gave me a context to understand that things were bigger than me and you had to be diligent, you had to be strong, but you also had to have consciousness. And that's why that's my album. That's why that is the album that I will always attach myself to when it comes to hip-hop. And that kind of set the foundation for me to say, this is something that I'm interested in doing for the rest of my life. And essentially, now I'm at a place where I'm still engaged in hip hop, but I'm also able to touch the lives and support young people. And for me, it is one of those rare albums that is a perfect album. If there is a skippable track on this album, it is probably It's a Man's World with Yo-Yo. And I think that there are people who may disagree with that. I don't know. But there is not one song that is traditionally skippable on this album. So shout out to Cube. I know Cube has been under a lot of... I know O'Shea Jackson has been under a lot of scrutiny because of some things that was going on around the election. But I try to separate, in some cases, I try to separate the person from the art that they create because we all grow, we all change as people. And I don't have judgment about that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I don't necessarily understand his rationale or whatever, but it is what it is. Shout out to Ice Cube. Shout out to Sir Jinx. Shout out to the Lynch Mob. Um, Gorillas in the Mist is a classic album to me as well. Ice Cube dropped Death Certificate and Predator, both classic albums. Lethal Injection is one of the most disrespected albums in, in my opinion. And we know that that Ice Cube's focus changed as he started working on movies and things of that nature, but it is what it is. The Lynch Mob, Gorillas in the Mist, classic album to me. Personal classic album to me. Um, shout out to my cousin Cube, though, my cousin Quinn. Quinn rolled hard for Cube, um, even when NWEA, N- NWEA, NWA came back. With their, you know, with them dissing Ice Cube and everything, he still roll hard with Cube, no doubt. Um, I have a lot of opinions about that time period in hip-hop, so we will be having a lot of conversation about it. Um, But, yeah, hopefully we can get to those as time goes forward. So, again, join us on a week-to-week basis. Um, I didn't want to take a lot of time today because we don't have a guest, but join us. We'll be talking through just the history of hip-hop music and the history of each other um, through that lens. And my hope is that you will join us on a week-to-week basis and assist us in in building this 
this community, this community of people who are interested in these stories. Because again, this is a podcast about people more than it's a podcast about music. So with that, we're going to go ahead and we're going to cast off. We want to give one more shout out to Leon Speakers, our sponsors, Leon Speakers, Dirty Avenue Clothing, and of course, Project Plugin, giving this to Punch. Um, shout out to Max from Mind State Marketing as well as Grove Studios for today. And we'll see you next week. Holla.